Hello and welcome to TNT, the technology and things podcast. Your host, Paul Ferraro, is a former IT exec and currently a technology advisor. Jeff Kruger, a fellow technology enthusiast, is the co-host. They both spent many years working for a Fortune 500 company and are both passionate about leadership, technology and the community. Well, welcome to another edition of Technology and Things. I'm here with David Kotlarowski, our field CTO. Hello, David. Hey, hey. How's it going, Paul? It's going well, man. It's good to see you again. It's been a, been a while. Uh, we were doing podcasts like every week there, it seemed like, um, mm-hmm. about a month ago. So it's nice to, uh, nice to have you back on our program. Today, we've got uh, Scott Sneddon. He is a technology evangelist for Juniper. Uh, he'll be joining us here uh, very shortly, and uh, I think you guys actually you might have know, know you guys know each other, David. So we do. Yep, that's always cool. Before we jump in with Scott, we are going to be giving away twenty one hundred dollar Amazon Fresh gift cards on this episode. So keep listening, and um, we will tell you how to do that. But uh, if you've listened listened to any of these before. Usually, it's just going to our website address, and we've got a thing you enter in, so it's pretty, it's pretty easy, but we'll make sure to tell you how to do that uh, at the end. Anything else, David? Mm, well, you know, uh, yeah, it seems like we haven't talked in a little bit. I <laughs> took, took, took a couple of weeks to, you know, uh, flip my life upside down, decide to move the family, and have a little surgery and, you know, pack all of that in two weeks. And then, and now I'm back better than ever. And here's here. I thought you were going to be on a beach somewhere and you're, <laughs> you're moving and getting surgery and everything. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm all good, man. I'm like the bionic man. I'm back. I'm ready to talk technology, you know, sweet. I'm locked and loaded. All right. Well, let's get started here. I'll bring Scott right in. Hey, good morning, Scott. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Hey, Scott, how's it going? Good. Hey, David. Good to have you on the program. Yeah, good to talk to you guys. I think you guys know each other, right, Scott? Yeah, we've worked together on a couple of uh, um, customer engagements. I had a pretty interesting one out of Detroit, if I remember right. Yeah, that was interesting. That's right. (laughs) Customer profile, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, challenging customer too. Yeah, I was gonna say we. All? I was gonna say when you said it, it was an interesting project. I thought, hmm, there's probably a story or two there. So maybe that's something for another time. Yeah, yeah, and definitely over a glass of something that has alcohol in it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Oh, that's funny. So, uh, so Scott, uh, thanks again for coming on our podcast today. We. Um, we're excited to talk to you. And, uh, you know, one thing we'd like to do is just get to know our guests a little bit. So I was, uh, I know that you're obviously at, at Juniper uh, now, uh, but kind of curious if you could give us a little, uh, you know, quick history of your career, kind of where, where did you start up? You know, where did you kind of start out in, in uh, technology and, and uh, sort of how did you end up at Juniper? Well, it's, um, I've kind of always been around technology. Um, 
you know, since I was a kid, my dad worked for IBM and, and worked for iOmega, if you remember the zip drives and those Oh, things. yeah. I even worked on the assembly line uh, at iOmega when I was in high school. That was my summer job was putting together uh, these storage systems. And so I've always been around it. We had an Apple IIe at home when I was a kid. And, and uh, I... I always wanted to be a rock musician and, and uh, you know, college and school and all of those things were my backup plan. But, um, you know, I, I got a, I ended up in the, in the San Jose Silicon Valley area um, right out of college, uh, got a job working at IBM in San Jose um, and uh, was still playing in rock bands and things like that, but just sort of progressed through the industry. Um, after college, I went to some trade school kind of things as well to kind of focus in on computer programming and the like, and ended up landing a job at, at Pacific Bell, um, you know, which was the, the telephone company in California at the time, and started getting into Unix and, and uh, Sun, Sun OS, BSD, and, and those kinds of things. Um, was there at a time when, when they were transitioning to an IP network, moving it off of a frame relay X25 and some of these vintage technologies on the IP. So I learned IP back in, you know, Cisco iOS version 1.8 and 2. Dot, you know, th that era. So, so I've been hands-on on this stuff for a long time. A lot of the team I got to know at Pacific Bell, we, we ended up going off and starting um, their internet business. And, and so dove deep into BGP that evolved into a position at a, at a web hosting company called Exodus Communications through the dot-com boom, which was, um, you know, a big high flying and <laughs> hard crash. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, ran the, the uh, network architecture team there and, and dove deep into very large scale IP routing and also extremely large scale data center design. Uh, moved over to the vendor side of things in the early 2000s after the dot-com implosion and ended up at a company called Timetro, which became part of Alcatel and then Alcatel, Lucid, Nokia, um, but learned my way around MPLS carrier routing and the things like that. Uh, it's been about, geez, 11, 11 and a half years ago, I joined Juniper the first time uh, and dove headfirst back into data center from a design and architecture standpoint. Got to work on a partner team with IBM that was doing some um, automation and coding kind of leading into what became cloud, um, you know, early, early VMware virtualization. How do we make network hardware interact better with those cloud orchestration systems and the like? Um, several years at, at Juniper, I left and went to Viata, which was a, a software platform that Brocade acquired. Um, Spent a few years. I ran Asia Pacific for Nuage Networks, which was uh, Alcatel Lucent's SDN venture, and then came back to Juniper five years ago now. Um, but yeah, focused on data center architecture. I focus really heavily on the software side of things. Uh, so Juniper's Contrail tool set and suite of tools is is where I spend most of my time focusing. But you know, I care very much about how network teams interact with DevOps teams and how cloud consumption and digital transformation affect the networking people. Um, as much as the technology, it, it's also very much a people problem. And so mm -hmm. you know, my experience in, in 
you know, really wide range of networking topics and sysadmin topics, even early in the career, kind of, I think, influenced my feelings on, on these things. And then it's really exciting. I mean, I've got another window on my screen where the keynotes are going on at Kubicon right now. This is an amazing, fascinating topic that the network and security people are largely left out of. And, and so what can we do to try to bridge those gaps and bring them together? That's, that's where I spend most of my time focusing. And that that was a hell of a overview, Scott. I like that. That yeah. was good. You you must have done that before. I have. Um, I'm gonna keep it short too. I could go on for. I that. I, by the way, I I was uh, I, I had uh, FreeBSD 1.0 that I I worked on uh, back in I don't know 1992 or something like that. Uh, that was a pretty fun time. Yeah. That was a pretty cool time. Um, some of the guys that were writing that stuff and working on it, you could actually email them back then and they would like email you back and you know like the same day <laughs> it was it was pretty awesome <laughs> uh, yeah the the internet and, and and unix and those technologies of the day it was a really small community um yeah it, it still feels like it's a small world in a small community i mean i travel well i used to travel all over the globe and you'd always connect with somebody that, that had a mutual friend or you knew somebody through the industry somewhere. So it's, it's a very, very small world. But back then, it was literally a small world. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realize at the time how small it was. You know, yeah. uh, I, I thought, it, you know, you kind of, I was real young, so I thought it was much different. And now I'm like, wow, um, was really there sort of at the, at the beginning of some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, well, I, You know, I was really intrigued. I, I always like, uh, we love talking about people. And you mentioned that you care about the people. And I was like, that's, that's awesome. Uh, you know, I, I think that's uh, something that we don't see enough of uh, in just in our industry. Uh, so many things are about, you know, automation and this and that, and AI is taking over the world. And I think, uh, you know, it comes down to people and everything. And I'd love to hear your thoughts more on that. Like what, you know, why do you think, why do you think the networking teams are being left out of those conversations? You know, uh, are they mean people or what's, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, but, yeah. I think it's, it comes down to the fact that networking and security people in particular are just curmudgeons who don't want <laughs> anyone else and, and <laughs> like sitting in their silent. No, I, I, what was really educational to me when I first joined Juniper and this is going on, 10 years ago or so, I started working, Juniper's had this, this relationship with IBM forever and ever and have jointly developed chips and all kinds of software together and things. But I got to work with this team that was developing early flavors of cloud orchestration software. And, and a lot of the stuff that lives in, in the IBM cloud today, this team in, at Silicon Valley Labs was, was just germinating the early thoughts of that. And when I sat down with them, we had this, well, our CTO at the time, Pradeep Sindhu, one of Juniper's founders, um, used to have lunch with this vice president of software at IBM um, once a month. And, and they just had this, this idea that maybe we should work together and see if we could think about automating networking from a cloud orchestration tool. And so I got sent down to Silicon Valley Labs to figure it out. And when I sat down with this team there, their awareness of the network was the red cable is on the private network, the blue cable is on the public network. And anything beyond that was completely out of, out of their purview. 
And I think networking teams are left out of this conversation of cloud evolution and digital transformation because the folks that are focusing on that don't understand the network. And it seems so complicated because it's it's sort of a black box of voodoo of, of how I configure a switch or a router to deliver that VLAN or whatever thing that they need. I mean, us as networking people, it seems somewhat simple. You know, okay, I build a VLAN, I've got to touch a few things and I've got to make sure there's a router, but we do that all day long in our sleep. But to the Kubernetes developer, that's a wall of voodoo that they just don't understand at all. And so how do they have a conversation in a language that both of those teams can understand? I think that's the real fundamental problem with with connecting these groups and making these teams work together is they just speak a different language. And, and so, you know, I, I like to talk to networking people about trying to deliver more as a service type offerings. I mean, we as networkers already do an as a service that's usually a phone call on a trouble ticket that says, hey, my app doesn't work, go make it figure it out. <laughs> that takes days and weeks. And, and somehow the public providers have been able to abstract that complexity into something that they, that a developer can easily understand. And so it's just quicker for them to go point and click and do on a public cloud instead of waiting for that network team to go figure out how to reverse engineer their app to support you know, whatever they're trying to do. And, and so if, if the networking teams be, can become more versed in that abstracting and simplifying the interface to the developer, I think they can participate a bit more. So I, I try to teach networking people how to understand this cloud ecosystem a bit more, try to get them to maybe step back from things like BGP and EVPN and VXLAN and all of the protocol specific stuff and present that as a language of you know, you need a network and that network needs to be secure. Now let's talk about how to deliver that um, and, and not get bogged down in the weeds of, of the protocol that we're going to use to deliver that. But when we're interacting with the developer or the application team, let's keep the conversation that simple as to not scare away the application team and then represent the service you're trying to deliver into some abstraction that is literally that simple. Hey, I'm going to deploy an app okay, I need a network that connects A to B and I want to make sure that C isn't allowed to talk to it. Should be that simple. Um, and then let the network sort of figure out on the back end how to make that happen. That could be through an AI engine or something down the road that starts to sort of adapt the network to those, those applications a little more automatically. But I think the network team can do an awful lot right now by standardizing, simplifying the architectures so that the application can simply ask for a network and a network gets delivered. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's about connecting the dots and trying to get people to speak the same language, not scaring each other off by speaking really, really intricate foreign um, technical languages, but instead try to come to terms on, on, on common denominators as much as possible. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's, a, it's almost like a... Mm -hmm. You're you're helping them level up their conversation to yeah. to more a little more business uh, oriented type of speak and uh, yeah no that that makes total that's that you you really explain that quite well I mean, and I, I think some other things we can do to try to help level that up or or to arm network engineers with with data that lets them have a seat at that table and add value um, mm -hmm. things. 
tools to calculate where the most cost-effective place to run a workload might be and taking that to the developer team and say, yeah, I know public cloud looks really simple, but it's going to cost you this much versus if we keep it on the private cloud, mm -hmm. it'll be that much cheaper. And hopefully that's an incentive to get us to work together to ultimately make the private cloud as simple as the public cloud um, while still saving money. You know, if, if, if that application fits that model for, for financial, but yeah, get, arming them with more tools that, that kind of bridge those bridge into common language more, more and more. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really important. You know, just <clears throat> what you were describing kind of reminded me of uh, um, a customer experience we had just recently where <clears throat> this customer was completely born in the cloud. So they did not have any network engineers on staff at all. Anyone that kind of understood how to do it, they just, you know, you go to a public cloud provider, click, 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 things are provisioned for you. Well, as, you know, as these companies mature, right, you start bringing on some bigger, larger customers. Those customers, they're not as mature when it comes to cloud adoption, and they may still require some type of a physical interconnect. So this customer of ours really needed a physical presence there first. And they were, it was mind boggling for them how complex it was to connect their cloud presence to a physical point of presence at a carrier hotel, you know, and the skill set needed for that. They really found that they, they were completely disconnected from it. Right. right? And, and the automation piece was really what they were looking for. They said, okay, physically we get it. We'll have to put something in, mm -hmm. but we are completely unaware of how do we can, automate this and and have this be part of our you know tool chain pipe and and provision things automatically I, that was uh eye-opening for them we were kind of aware of you know some of this and what the challenges are but it's interesting where you know you're looking at mature companies that are kind of on that journey and and they look at okay networking really hasn't changed in a few decades right we build things in overlays and you know, and try to kind of expand our data center, make things more elastic. And we're on that journey to the cloud versus those have, that have completely bypassed that were born in the cloud and never needed to know that. And now they're on the journey in a, in a different direction. Very interesting. I have a customer who um, fits that, that profile perfectly. They're, um, you know, they're born in the cloud, 100% cloud company. They became my customer because my wife and um, their DevOps engineer's wife are friends. And so over dinner once we talked about a challenge he was having. Um, and, and, you know, I helped him out. We, we introduced some virtual firewalls because he needed a real security appliance in, in mm -hmm. the cloud. And, and so they're not a big customer at all. But, but yeah, I, I do list them as a customer. But the only reason he was the network guy is because he took some Cisco class in high school. And, mm -hmm. you know, wow. <laughs> it, it was like one semester of something he did his junior year. And here he is a decade on. And he's the only one that speaks networking because of that little nugget of knowledge. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's sort of what you run into in most of these cloud first companies is because it's never been a focus because they've never needed to worry about it. Those skills don't exist there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you're right. When, when they grow, when they have to start doing shared points of presence, maybe when it becomes, when a CFO comes along and says, Hey, what if we mm -hmm. build ourselves? There is, 
there's just such a disconnect between what it takes to build that infrastructure and, and then how you automate it and how you make it a part of that workflow so it doesn't slow you down. Um, there's a great opportunity for network engineers, I think, to up-level their skills, up-level their conversation to be able to help those, those challenges. Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> Do you think that, you know, as we kind of look at public cloud and some of the newer, um, you know, software solutions like Kubernetes and Docker, right? There's all these cool new things that folks are doing out there in, in, in uh, you know, CICD and software development and all of that. And then you look at networking. I mean, we're using the same protocols that we've been using for decades, right? And all we're trying to do is, hey, let's figure out some type of an overlay or what can we sandwich in to just make this thing work? Do you think that as an industry, perhaps we're getting to a point where we just need to say, look, this really, it, it can only take us this far, right? We've tried some things with IPv6. It was a great promise, but let's, let's be honest. It's really not a, as widely deployed, especially in enterprise and enterprise data centers. And do we need something new, something different, rather than just kind of bolting things on and, and just doing these workarounds? I... I think we need something new. I do. I thought I had, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have thought SDN was that answer. Um, heck, mm -hmm. I put my career on it a bunch of years ago that that was the answer. Um, thankfully for my career, we didn't wander too far off the deep end into something that didn't work. And, and, uh, mm -hmm. and I think that it turns out the net of what we were trying to do with SDN was to not reinvent the network, but try to reinvent the operations. And so mm -hmm. This is where AI starts to lead us. Maybe we get better tooling. Maybe the orchestration and automation systems get smarter and more powerful so that when we do have these, when we're still stitching and bolting things together at the network layer, which is our reality, that's, that's just how the network works, um, it just becomes easier to operate and easier to, to orchestrate. So I do think we need some fundamental change in how we build networks. Um, I, I just don't know how we get there. Uh, even rolling out IPv6, which was supposed to nicely meld and integrate in a dual stack approach, and, and mm -hmm. everybody's building hardware that can do that, operationally, it's really difficult to implement. And, and so um, I, I, I don't see being able to change the tire on the, while the truck's rolling down the road at 90 miles an hour. That's just, mm -hmm. that's the reality of, of the, the network that we've got is it's got to continue to be evolutionary. We have to continue to keep running and keep things operating because the world economy isn't going to just stop and wait for us to build a new network. I, I, I don't know how we do that. And every time we get into the mode of here's this new technology that's going to change everything, there's always a but what about question that comes up. What about mainframe? What about that data that's over there? What about all the stuff I've already got in the public cloud? And we've got to figure out. And then we end up back in the bolting things together. So I think the right approach is, is openness, open technologies, interoperability, continuing to push the industry and customers need to push us to make sure that we're going this way and doing these things, but making sure that our systems work together so that when Juniper or somebody else develops a new widget that's revolutionary, we know that it's going to work with the mm -hmm. stuff that's already there. And, and so, you know, our focus has always been that openness, that interoperability approach, but also Brownfield, also existing. I, I 
as much as we love to build data centers from scratch and we want to rip and replace, we know we don't always get to do that. And, and so we've got to find a way to continue to stitch and continue to, to bolt on, but make it easier, make it simpler to use. And, and, and so that's, that's the goal of a lot of the technologies that we're building right now is, yes, we keep moving the ball forward with bigger, faster, stronger, but also we really invest hard in making sure that it's easy and making sure that, it, that that's simple and it's interoperable and open so that, you know, if, if something else needs to be bolted on down the road, we have a way to do that. Hey, hey uh, okay. Scott, what, what are you, um, David was hoping that you had a, a, a new technology that you could uh, uh, <laughs> help him deploy. No, uh, I, I was curious. So, uh, you know, one of the things that's kind of a hot topic right now is that, you know, we've got, we've got some vaccines and, and maybe uh, someday we're all going to be uh, back and working with people again. <laughs> uh, and so I'm curious what, one of the, one of the scenarios I've, I've been hearing about is that people are going to be working, you know, like half of the workforce is going to be, you know, at home and the other half is going to be at work which almost sounds like a, a, um, a nightmare scenario uh, in a way because of uh, collaboration and everything. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and if there's any, you know, is technology going to be able to help us there or um, is it a different kind of problem that we got to solve? I, I think, uh, I mean, going from kind of the, the bottom up, I, I think we need to continue to focus on network architectures that are, simple, that are scalable, fungible, that, that allow um, flexibility at the application layer. And that application layer is changing and changing all the time. And in a retail environment, we're doing more things in the store and in a distribution center than in a warehouse or, you know, so the whole, the whole enterprise footprint sort of looks like a data center because I've got applications that are spread around and, and these edge computing use cases where we're starting to drive more compute um, in a more distributed manner means that more of the network needs to look like a simplified data center. And, and so where we can drive architectures that allow for that, I, I think we have to just continue to do that because it becomes even more important. If the workforce is more distributed, the enterprise applications that support that workforce need to be more distributed. Um, if a large enterprise says, hey, team, we don't care where you live now, <laughs> You know, then having one data center in the Silicon Valley probably isn't the right footprint to support that enterprise. Um, and, and so we've got to help our customers implement networks that, that allow for that and allow for things to maybe run over in a public cloud for a little while and then maybe run in some colo facility the next day because th that's where the workload is. Now, how we keep track of people and enable people and how we make sure we're doing that securely I think there's a huge opportunity for technology to, to expand beyond the walls of the data center, to expand beyond the walls of a branch. Um, you know, these, these uh, what used to be just a really simple IP phone problem, you know, how do I get some kind of presence on my desktop at my house that looks and feels like I'm, I'm at work? Um, there's probably a lot of opportunity for improvement there as well. Um, better Wi-Fi, better segmentation within the house because kids are distance learning and we're trying to do Zoom video conferences and on and on and on. How do we put some sort of 
quality of service or segmentation out all the way to the edge, out into, um, you know, a, a home office. That, these are big <laughs> unknowns that, that I don't know how to tackle, but I think are, are a necessary thing that technology can help solve. When you say distance learning, do you, are you talking about a nonstop uh, video gaming all day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be. Um, I definitely want to segment my network for that piece of it because sometimes I'm, I'm like looking at stuff going, what is going on in this network? Then yeah. I remember I have a 14-year-old son. Nope. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, I, we, I, we don't have kids. Um, so, you know, the bandwidth my ear is just between my wife and I. So it's a <laughs> We don't. It, it works out okay. We're fighting with the neighbors, I think. On on some right. <laughs> I think we're all fighting with the neighbors uh, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> home. We visited some friends a while back, and and uh, you know our friend's daughter. She was oh twelve or thirteen years old at the time, um, and she'd had. Um, you know, they had an entertainment computer hooked up to the big screen TV in their living room. And she had, I don't know, 30 chat sessions going in different windows on this screen and a, uh, a game that she was playing and was streaming music. And I'm just thinking, yeah, no wonder I can't work when I visit you guys <laughs> because yeah. there's no way that internet connection could have supported all that. And that was one of three kids that was in the house. So yeah, I couldn't imagine it now when Yes, you, it's video gaming, but also a, a legitimate, you know, Zoom class for a student. I, yeah, I, yeah, um, yeah, no, it's it, it's uh, definitely know, changed things. Yeah, and it's really interesting how this particular um, pandemic, right, kind of shed the light on just how important these connections are, right? And and I think that it kind of opened eyes for some people that before maybe have not thought about that but just how important it is for everyone to be connected. Mm -hmm. uh, we need that, right? If, we, if we're all locked down. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm actually hoping as I kind of looked at, you know, Apple finally launched their iPhones that are 5G capable. And I'm, and I'm hoping that that's going to accelerate this and kind of give it more visibility. But I'm also really mindful of the impact that that's going to have on our customers and that, now that these connections are going to be more ubiquitous and they're going to be much faster so I can access more content much faster. The applications are going to be more responsive. Man, what is, what is the impact going to be on enterprise networks, right? On those data center networks, man, it's, it's, it's going to be tremendous, right? Yeah. I, I you know, just the, even pre-pandemic, um, you know, we have a customer uh, who's, you know, a retailer that, that's in the, the pet care space. And, and um, you know, we've done some things with them on the Wi-Fi side of things to enable um, in-store experiences a little bit differently. And, and because of, of the success we had on the Wi-Fi side, now they're coming to Juniper saying, hey, let's talk about data center. Mm -hmm. What's really been fascinating about the data center conversation is it's, you know, like I was talking about before, it's a people problem as much as a technology problem because that data center team is saying, you know, we've always just sort of lived in our little world and made sure the data center stayed up and running. Um, but now we, they had also acquired an, an e-commerce uh, company that's merged in. So now with the e-commerce team, they suddenly overnight became a developer house. Um, they mm -hmm. didn't have any in-house developers before. Now they've got developers. The in-store experience is changing and they're developing these mobile apps that completely change 
the in-store experience. Um, you know, they've got veterinary offices and, and, and uh, you know, grooming facilities in the store. And so they're launching an application or they may have launched it. I don't know where things are now with, with the pandemic, but the idea was that they, they would have a mobile app that with some location services that would check you in for your appointment with the vet when you walked in the store. And then you're free to shop with your dog on the leash. And then you'd get a push notification to your phone when the vet was ready to see you. So you didn't have to queue up outside the window where the vet was. But that put some more real-time processing needs in the store. Um, the communication back to the central data center suddenly changed where it wasn't just a point of sale and an inventory update, but now there was real-time you know, location tracking and interaction with an application back at the data center. So suddenly the, the need for real-time reliability to that store had changed. The mm -hmm. data connection pattern had changed and, and how traffic was traversing. And then now this, this development team that had joined the company was starting to blend public cloud into the environment. And so the, that network engineering team there was just like, man, we just have to think differently. I mean, all of this stuff is happening around us. And if we we can't be the, the thing that gets in the way of that innovation because that store experience is going to be our differentiator in the store. And the e-commerce stuff is a huge business opportunity for us. And if we slow them down, we're going to kill the company. And so, you know, the, the data center network engineering team was just having to reinvent themselves, um, not just change their network architecture, but reinvent themselves and how they communicate and how they deliver. And, and now we're getting into the world where that same team is going to have to worry about that developer community is now a completely remote developer community. And what does that mean? And where do those developer workloads run? And you know, so, yeah, uh, just the mind of a network engineer today has to be exploding because of all of these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah the pace of this might have significantly accelerated since the days of when we would sit behind the keyboard and, you know, type commands. Yeah. And, and if you had to do anything significant, you scheduled it for a maintenance window a week yeah. and a half away and could plan and test. And yeah, those days are gone. <laughs> yeah, Scott, that's a fantastic example that you gave because I was, I was thinking about all of the different retail uh, experiences that have changed in the last six months where you can, you, you don't go into stores, you, you're either queuing outside or you're in your car and they're bringing it out and like that whole concept of that that store now has become uh a little you know <clears throat> it has to be able to work on itself you know by itself you know it can't just be uh you know like you said just swiping some credit cards it's got a lot more processing going on at those and it's happening all over the place you go to the the mall or or anywhere i was at the mall a couple of days ago and and uh, you know, <clears throat> you're queuing outside and everything. So it's uh, that was that really hit home for me. I, I, that was a great explanation. And thinking about how networking individuals specifically have had probably some of the most um, impact in and and having to think about these things, um, it, you know, kind of never. I think, and then security obviously too. I think has 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 their minds are also. Uh, uh, going a little crazy as well for, yeah. for probably a lot of the same reasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, and I, you know, I neglect to say network and security when I, when I talk about these things, because they really are in the same boat and, and mm -hmm. those teams are, are 
presented with the exact same challenges. Um, you know, security is traditionally the department of no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, either either developers trying to find a way around them, or you know, maybe trying to hide yeah. something that they might be doing because they don't want to get told no. Um, yeah, I'm so yeah. happy to hear a lot of security folks. Though we we've been talking to um, you know over the last couple of months that they they're having to really change that that mindset and and be you know if they if they do that no then they're not part of the conversation and yeah. they can't secure anything. So yeah. they're they're more like they're trying to really get in there and be like, how can we help architect it rather than um, rather than sort of that old way of doing things. So yeah, it's yeah. it's it's making all of us have to uh, reimagine our you know our, our uh, what we're doing and how we're how we're adding value to the to the business. Yeah, I mean, I, Scott, I have to agree with you. I think security guys are kind of in the same boat as the network guys, right? Because, and a lot of times it's kind of the same guy. You've got the network and security is overlaid on top, but you know, like before, this is my castle. I'm protecting my castle. Well, now the network is everywhere, right? And so security has got to be everywhere. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's difficult. You really have to kind of transform yourself to think about how you can uh, extend services everywhere, you know, really, you're you're helping the business, you know, transform and uh, and survive, really. And I think for a lot of businesses, especially now, it's just how do we uh, quickly adapt to what's happening, and how quickly can we leverage technology to to stay in business? Really, it's not so much stay ahead of competition anymore. It's survival, mm -hmm. right? And like I've seen, you know, for example, um, IKEA, right, and. and and uh, Home Depot, right? They're turning stores into like fulfillment centers, right? You you do all the ordering online. You you, you know park in the parking lot in the spot. You tell them what spot you're in. They come in and fulfill the order, and all of that's done on a mobile app or yeah. through text messaging. I mean, that's that's you know that's the world we live in right now. But as a, as someone who works at a company like that, you have to think about, okay, how do I provide all these services and I have to secure them? Yeah. And it's not an easy task. No, not at all. Um, and you, you know, you, you can't compromise a, a security posture just because the footprint of the device might be different, right? It's, it's really easy to put a big firewall in front of a big server. Um, but you know, if the thing I'm trying to devise to secure is a sensor, that's mm -hmm. monitoring people coming in and out of the mall door. I, I can't put a big firewall in front of that, but I still need to essentially provide that same function. So how do I do that? And how do I think about what my security footprint is in that? And then how do I provide consistency when my footprint is different in every one of these places? These are all really big challenges that security people are, are struggling with. Uh, let me just go ahead, Paul. Uh, uh yeah, David, it's my show. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I was just I was just curious, Scott. You, it sounds like you spend a lot of time with customers, which is good. Um, and and so you're are you you're a resource that people can engage and and bring and be able to bring in and and be able to help them, you know, sort of organizationally, some with some of the technology challenges and how they're almost like putting, putting a strategy together really sounds like around how to, you know, 
get out of the quagmire that you might be in or 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 taking what you're doing to the next level is that am i yeah yeah that's the Exactly yeah. it is, is I, I'm part of a team at Juniper that um, it, it's a specialist team and, and we've got security specialists and we've got branch specialists. And, you know, with the, the MIST acquisition we made a couple of years ago, we've got a whole bunch of really great Wi-Fi specialists and, and you know, all of these topics. Um, but I'm a resource to, to the Juniper sales teams, to our partners like Evotech to come in and, and work together um, to help customers. Uh, that's the goal. I, I'm not a sales guy. Um, I mean, of, of course, I want you to buy Juniper stuff because, you know, that helps pay for the roof over my head. But um, I, I really what I want to do is, is I, I just want to build um, a trusted relationship and, and, and get to know these customers. And, and it helps me learn because I think it's fascinating and, and it's always interesting to have these conversations to understand the challenges, the challenges that our customers are going through. Um, but mostly, you know, the idea here is, you know, whether you buy Juniper switches or somebody else's, whether you use our, our orchestration or somebody else's, let's talk about what you're doing. What, what's your business trying to do and how can the network team help with that? Mm-hmm. And my belief is, is that if, if we can have honest, value-driven conversations, then the business comes. Um, you know, that customer, David, that you and I worked with in Detroit went a different way, unfortunately. But I think we had a good, honest, and frank conversation with them. Um, they were 150% price-driven and didn't seem to care about much else. But I think they're going to come back. And I, and I think, you know, because we were able to talk to them honestly about their business and, and what they might run into, um, mm-hmm. given the choices that were in front of them, um, they're eventually going to call us back and, and we're going to go talk to them again. And hopefully we win this time. Um, but yeah. even if we don't, heck, we learned something from that conversation. And, you know, we take away from that and you know, there, there's a segment of web hosting that I didn't have a good understanding of that now I have a better understanding of. And so I can, I can help other customers with, with conversations along the lines of that topic. So, I mean, we, at Juniper, we invested really heavily. We worked with a partner, sorry, we worked with an analyst at ACG research to develop this, this cloud uh, financial calculator, um, which is just a, a spreadsheet that we're freely giving out that people are welcome to use. And, and, uh, uh, try that takes a bunch of um, values, of, you know, all kinds of cost values of, of running a workload. So, you know, what we've done is we've ingested the list prices from Amazon and Azure for their public cloud footprint. And we also have a bunch of, of values around kilowatts per hour and, and um, you know, an hour of labor and, and data center construction and all of these, these inputs into the sheet to let you calculate how much it's going to cost to run a given workload type in a public cloud versus a private cloud. Um, and it's a really honest tool that, that comes back and says, hey, some things are cheaper in public cloud. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, of course, we want you to build a private cloud because that means you buy our hardware and you build that infrastructure. Um, but the, the net of this tool isn't that it's so cut and dry that everything should go private cloud and nothing could, should go public. The, the bottom line is, hey, Mr. Customer, you can save a lot of money by doing both. Um, and having a really thoughtful approach to the financials of workload placement um, 
can be really beneficial to your business. Instead of just going all in on public cloud or saying I'm only building private cloud and nothing else, those are both the wrong answer. The right answer is is a little of each and a really thoughtful uh, data-driven approach to choosing the right place to run a workload at a given time. And, and, you know, we didn't do this with the intent of only selling private cloud infrastructure. We did this to have an honest conversation with customers about what the best thing is to do on any given day for any given workload type. And um, so, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's my thinking. And that's, that's my, my approach to this is let's work together and talk about what's best for you. And if it's not buying a bunch of switches and building your own data center, so be it. Um, you know, we still have other ways to have conversations and there's a lot more to enterprise infrastructure than just data center switches. Um, but, you know, let's have honest conversations and, and help understand what the best way of doing things is. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a ton of sense, uh, Scott. I think that uh, the, the you hit the nail on the head there. One of the most difficult things is get, is getting that alignment on when you're trying to do those cost comparisons. And, and I've done a bunch of those in over the last couple of years for different clients. And when I was a customer and trying to get that unbiased, you know, here, here's kind of what these two options look like. I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm just trying to <laughs> just make sure we, we, we have the right data. Let's look at the right data and, and agree on the facts, which, you know, is not that easy these days. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, 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 um, and I, I saw a paper that you guys wrote that, that, um, you know, one of the key things that, that I took away from it was just the urging for customers to understand what their current environment actually is. I, I think so often people didn't even know what applications are running where and how much mm-hmm. of using a given work, uh, a given resource at any given time, especially yeah. in private clouds, which aren't necessarily all that well instrumented. Um, you know, Hey, I, think I need this big 32 core server to run that app, but you know, 24 of those 32 cores are sitting idle. I mean, you may not even know that. And, and so really characterizing and understanding what's where and what's running. It's important from a financial point of view. It's important from a security point of view. Um, it's important from a planning and, and network design point of view. Uh, so so data is key. And, and so, yeah. Collecting, instrumenting, understanding, and maybe that's where AI is really going to have the biggest impact is just better. You know, I, I'm one of the guys I work with, um, we talk about AI being artificial intelligence, but I think it's also actionable insights. Collecting data in a way that lets us take an action and, and do something intelligent with it. So it's not necessarily artificial, but it's actionable. And, yeah. and that's where AI really has a more immediate impact is just better tooling to understand what's going on so I can make smarter decisions. Yeah. I like that. Actionable information. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Actionable insights. Actionable insights. I read it. Yeah. No, I I like that. Yeah. You don't have to tell me that there's more capacity on this part of my network. Just use it. Yeah. Tell me later. Send me a weekly report. I've got plenty (laughs) of information coming my way. Just let me know, hey, I saw something and I took advantage of it to save the company money. Yes. yes. Perfect. Uh-huh. 
And so a network engineer, maybe they don't automate themselves out of a job on day one. You know, we don't want that to happen. Um, you can also automate yourself into an outage really quickly if you're not careful. But using some telemetry, using some tools that, that can feed automation, at least gets us started in, in a better understanding of, you know, what the right problem is to solve, what, what the right automation step to take is first. Um, without data, if you're just automating for automation's sake, you might not be solving any problems. You might be causing more problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, uh, we really appreciate you coming on our podcast today. Uh, I think we learned a lot. Um, I learned some new, I learned a new way of saying AI or what AI stands for, which I, which I like. And I also, I loved, uh, I loved your thoughts on, on people and teams and, and how, um, uh, we need to, to help, uh, some of these teams kind of level up, uh, their skill set. So thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it. Look forward to working with you and seeing you, uh, out there in the field with a, a client one day. Yeah. Thank you. And Hopefully we'll, uh, We'll be together in a room again sometime soon. <laughs> yes. That'd be great. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Alrighty, Take care. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I wanted to uh, let you know that we are giving away 20 uh, gift cards to Amazon Fresh and uh, 20 $100 gift cards. Uh, so go to evotech.com slash TNT33 and uh and go ahead and enter uh no raffle code is needed if you want to enter an ai you could do that thanks for listening and we'll see you next time <laughs>